0: It is 2019. Welcome in to the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Happy New Year. My name is Farzan Misugan, your host of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I appreciate you making the podcast part of your weekend. This podcast coming out a day late because there is no Chiefs game this week. They're on a bye week, thankfully. Uh, their season's not over, no. Uh, so they are on a bye week. So instead, uh, still a lot of Chiefs news. Get into uh, Eric Bieniemy being interviewed by multiple teams, declined one of those teams that requested to interview him. I'll tell you all about that later on. But also, kind of an interesting note about the Andy Reid coaching three, uh, coaching tree, excuse me. Something very interesting about that that we need to get into here on this episode. Chiefs did host a cornerback last week, but did not sign him. How are the Chiefs going to do defensively with this team going in? Also. Very interesting note about this Chiefs offense. Obviously a historic season, third highest scoring team in NFL history. But something really impressive comes with this offense that nobody has mentioned. I'll tell you what that is. And really you should be blown away by this. What this offense has been able to do that no one else has done in NFL history. Talk about that. Also, a couple of former Chiefs are finalists for the... Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2019. We'll also do our wild card preview on this episode. Not a full-blown preview like we do with our Chiefs breakdowns, but going to go over all four wildcard games this weekend. Going to talk about all of that, and I'll give my predictions for all four games. And I'll let you guys hear out on who I think the Chiefs will play against on January the 12th. That will be next Saturday, of course, at Arrowhead Stadium. So we'll see... Who will visit the Chiefs at Arrowhead after this weekend, or after that first game, depending who wins, we'll know right away. It just kind of depends on the outcome of the first game, so we'll get into that later on. Also, our closing segments, as usual, a bunch bunch of drama in Pittsburgh. Roethlisberger had by far one of the most horrendous excuses as to why... The Steelers did not make the playoffs and why their season didn't do so I also want to talk a little bit about Mizzou football. Obviously, their season came to an end after the uh, Liberty Bowl. And I want to talk about Drew uh, Drew Locke for a moment, excuse me. And something that's kind of intriguing to me that stuck out regarding quarterbacks from Mizzou. Also, one thing that uh, you guys may not know, but a 16-year-old in Kansas is graduating from high school this spring, also graduating from Harvard as well, I'll tell you guys about that later on, plus a man in Kansas City celebrated New Year's Eve by shooting himself, so that's a lot of fun, all of that and much more on this episode of the Chiefstone Podcast, again happy holidays, happy New Year to all of you, hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you guys celebrate, hope you all had a joyous holiday season I am back from Sin City Las Vegas the city that never sleeps uh was fun being there for New Year's I uh, got to uh watch the Chiefs and Raiders game from Legacy Stadium I shared the video uh, of that as I promised I would at halftime uh really cool sports bar. I definitely recommend it it's a bit, bit of a pricey place I've been there a couple of times for a Chiefs game before coincidentally it was a Chiefs and Raiders game now that I remember that uh but been there for a Chiefs game been there for a UFC fight as well uh, by the way, speaking of UFC fights, uh, funny enough, the uh, the all the uh, sports books and sports bars, almost all the sports bars in Las Vegas did not show the UFC fights. And apparently that's been a thing for a while now. I don't know if they only show the big fights, like the Conor McGregor fights or what. But uh, man, I was uh, pretty disappointed. I had some money on Amanda Nunes, which uh, she won me some good money uh, knocking out Chris Cyborg. Uh, but nonetheless, I was kind of shocked that uh, they didn't show uh, the um, the UFC pay-per-view at any of the uh, hotels there. If anyone in Las Vegas knows why, please let me know, because I'm really curious to know that. Uh, and then I also went to the Golden Knights hockey game. I'll tell you what, man, uh, that had to be one of the best experiences I've ever had as a sports fan. First time I've ever been to a hockey game in person, and I really started to gravitate towards the sport the past year. And I've got to say, man, uh, the Golden Knights, the game crew, all the people responsible for game entertainment, you gotta give them a lot of credit, they really do make it a fun environment for fans, and it's also a family friendly environment, as are most stadiums, but they really do get the crowd into it, and it also helps that the team is really good coming off their inaugural season, making it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, and just the way their fans get into it, really really awesome, I sat next to a gentleman, elderly gentleman, he was with his wife, uh, he is from Seattle, well, he lives in Seattle, and he and his wife, they come to, they go to Las Vegas for New Year's every year, and he told me he is, a, he is originally from Boston, and so I asked him, I go, are you, are you a Patriots fan? He goes, yeah, 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 and he told me how he, when he was a kid, he loved hockey, he was a Bru- Bruins fan as well, or probably still is, I don't know, uh, and, uh, you know, he and his friends, they play street hockey, and then, uh, he started talking about Boston sports, uh, and he got to the point where he mentioned to me, Donald Trump doesn't support his teams anymore. I mean, I don't even know what that is about. Uh, so, he went into that, and he lost me after that. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you learn new stuff every day. Donald Trump stopped supporting his uh, sports teams. Uh, I don't know. I guess every athlete, uh, I mean, a, an athlete from every major sport protested during the anthem. So, I guess... That tricked him? I don't know. But nonetheless, uh, that was a fun trip. Now back in Kansas City, and it is a Chiefsless week, but for good reasons, of course. I, I was thinking about that. I mentioned this, I alluded to this uh, just a moment ago, but I thought about this uh, before I recorded the podcast. Man, if somebody told me before the season that the Chiefs were not playing on wildcard weekend, well, I mean, there are one or two assumptions you could make. Number one, they've got a bye week. Or their season is over. And I'll tell you what, man, I did not think this Chiefs team was gonna get a first round bye. I thought they would have maybe gotten a four-seed, maybe three at best. But I think like a lot of people, I had the Patriots and the Steelers as normal front rows. By the way, I had the entire AFC correct in terms of which six teams would make make it to the playoffs, with the exception of the Steelers. It's the Colts who are in the playoffs instead of the Steelers. So I gotta pat myself a little bit on the back with that one. Not not perfect. Because obviously I I didn't go 6-for-6, six six, but came pretty damn close to that. Uh, had all the uh, uh, playoff teams uh, with the exception of one. I was a complete mess with my NFC predictions. I had the Packers. I had the New York freaking Giants, which I'm never picking them ever again. The New York Giants are like Nick Foles. You just don't know which team shows up or which player in the case of Foles. Uh, so I, my, my NFC side is a complete mess. I don't even want to go over that one. Uh, definitely did not have the Cowboys in it uh the Eagles yeah I had the Eagles uh but I can't I don't I can't remember if I had the Chicago Bears or not I want to say I did after the Kne trade but I can't remember for sure uh but my Super Bowl was Rams over Texans I actually had the Texans beating the Pats and Foxborough for the AFC title game Obviously, that is not a possibility, Uh, whereas if the Colts win, then we know right away the Colts and Chiefs play. If the Texans win, then we know right away that the Texans are going to go visit the Patriots because the highest-seeded team will visit the number two seed. Therefore, the winner of Chargers-Ravens ends up going to Arrowhead, so... Obviously, you're not going to get Texans-Patriots in the AFC title game. I will say this, I, and I, I talked about this on the last podcast. I'll say it again. I'm getting a lot of questions from people. Emails, social media posts, whatever. People are asking me, who who, uh, who do you want the Chiefs to play in uh, in the divisional round? And who do you want the Chiefs to go up against in the Super Bowl? Well, listen... If you're going to ask me who I want the Chiefs to go up against in the Super Bowl, I want them to face the worst team in the NFL in the Arizona Cardinals. But obviously, the worst team is not going to play in the Super Bowl. I get what fans are trying to ask here. They're basically asking who is the which NFL team is the easiest to beat. Folks, I'm just going to say this right now. There are 12 teams that still have their seasons active at this point. There are no easy teams at this point. Last year, the Philadelphia Eagles, that was everyone's easy team. Everybody wanted to play the Eagles because they were using their backup quarterback in Nick Foles. Yet, they kept advancing further and further. They were underdogs in all three of their playoff games in the divisional round. uh, The conference title game against the Vikings and in in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. They completely destroyed the Vikings, a team that was coming off such a... Miraculous win over the Saints. And then in the Super Bowl, obviously uh that Philly special was kind of the Peterson sticking it to, to Belichick saying, Hey, look, you want to throw the quarterback? We'll do it better than you guys did. And ultimately the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And they were the heavy underdogs in all of those games. In all three of those of those games. Look at the New York Giants in what year was it? Two thousand seven. They didn't have a very good season. Eli Manning didn't have a very good year in 2007. Yet, the further and further the Giants went, they defeated teams who they lost to in the regular season in the playoffs. They defeated the Cowboys, who they lost to twice. They defeated the Packers, who they lost to in the regular season. And they lost or they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, a team who they lost to in Week 17, which the Patriots kept their starters because they were going for a, a historic moment to go undefeated and a few records to be broken Uh, Such as total yards, uh, receiving touchdowns, passing touchdowns, uh, all the nine right there going in favor of the Patriots, of course, but the Giants overcame all of those teams uh, who they lost to in the regular season. And yet, the Giants were still viewed as the easy team in the playoffs that year. Fast forward to a couple of years later, when the Giants once again were in the playoffs. They had actually the worst record, the fewest wins among all 12 playoff teams in 2011. Yet, they still, once again, against the same exact team, they won the Super Bowl. So look, I'm not going to sit here and underestimate teams. I know a couple of years ago, the Raiders went into the playoffs. ...without Derek Carr and without their backup... ...so they had their third string quarterback... ...okay, in cases like that, look... ...Nick Foles actually had starting experience before... ...but the Oakland Raiders, I mean, they're a team that... ...they used their third string quarterback a couple of years ago... ...so that you can obviously... ...and again, I, I hate to use this term... ...but in certain cases, you just you just know when a team is not going to win... ...and obviously the Raiders got destroyed in that; they got shellacked by the Texans in the playoffs so here's my answer to you who do I quote-unquote want the Chiefs to play in the divisional round and in the conference title game and in the Super Bowl I don't know but what I can tell you is if they if they make it that far that team is pretty damn good so let's not sit here and talk about who we quote-unquote want now if you want to face the Chargers and the Patriots for revenge. Okay, I understand that. I think that's a different case. But if you want to face a certain team because they're easier to beat, folks, breaking news to you right now if a team is. First of all, any of these eight teams that are playing this weekend, if they're in the, in the divisional round visiting the Chiefs, obviously they want a wild card weekend. And. None of these eight teams are pushovers. It's it's not like an Oakland Raiders team a couple of years ago where you are using your third string quarterback. Yes, the Eagles are using their backup, but good Lord, we all know about how that's gone their way. We just talked about that. So I'm not going to sit here and entertain the idea of who I think is quote-unquote easier for the Chiefs to play against because quite honestly, there is, there's never an easy team among the 32. Sure, there are teams that are worse than others, but there's never an easy game to win in the NFL. There just isn't. Wins never come easy in the NFL or in any sport. In the playoffs, it's even harder. I, I, I get it. Certain matchups do look favorable to you, but whatever your placement was in—I mean, the—let the, me just put it this way to you: fifty touchdowns and five thousand passing yards by Patrick Mahomes. Throw that out the window. Throw out the terrible Chiefs defense out the window. Throw out Tom Brady's five Super Bowl rings and three more additional Super Bowl appearances out the window. Throw all of that out. Because none of that is relevant to right now. Doesn't matter who had what record. Or who has what seed right now. Because the number one seed does not always make it to the Super Bowl, although I will say the past five number one seeds from the AFC have made it to the Super Bowl, so if you like patterns, I don't, but I always bring it up for those who do like that kind of stuff. Uh, again, when I say it's not relevant, sure, you know, how, how a team got to the point they are at right now, sure, that definitely is going to play a role, and we're going to use their success from this year as evidence as to why we think a team will win or lose. Don't get me wrong on that end. But I'm not going to sit here and use history or any of that to determine, you know, how a team's going to do or which matchup's going to be, you know, quote-unquote easier. I, I just really don't like that. And again, people are asking for who who would be easier to beat. I mean, are you expecting the Arizona Cardinals? Are you expecting the Oakland Raiders to be in the Super Bowl or in the, or in the AFC Championship game? I, I, I you, you, You're not going to get those quality teams. So no team is easy at this point. Want to get that out of the way because I do hear a lot of fans talking about that. Now, as I mentioned, I was in Vegas over the weekend and I came across a lot of sports fans in Las Vegas, obviously. And by the way, I didn't realize this, but Vegas apparently is it's a very busy time during uh, the NFL playoffs and for the Super Bowl. Had no idea that was the case. Uh, but I guess the fact that the Raiders are going there and it's slowly becoming a, a, a bigger sports town, the Golden Knights, they're a big deal over there, the Raiders, I, listen, I'll say this about the Raiders, I get that a lot of people in Vegas probably didn't watch hockey before, so they just, the Vegas Golden Knights just became their team, whereas the Raiders, they might not get everyone's attention in Vegas because the NFL is obviously the most popular sport in the United States, so everyone already has an NFL team in Vegas, but, If the Raiders do what the Vegas Golden Knights did in their inaugural season, people are going to gravitate towards that Raiders team in Vegas. They they just will. And obviously, it's a new stadium. People want to check out the new stadium in their own backyard. uh, A a, a city, a stadium that could potentially host a Super Bowl very soon. So you have that as well. So Vegas is slowly becoming uh, a bigger sports town. So perhaps uh, being in Vegas to watch big sporting events such as the Super Bowl, Could be a bigger and bigger deal as the years go on. We'll see. But I came across a lot of sports fans over the weekend, and, you know, they, of course, saw the Patrick Mahomes jersey. Came across a few Chiefs fans, had some nice discussions with them. But I talked to a few people, and they said, man, your quarterback's pretty good. And, you know, I tried to play it cool. I didn't want to come off as this guy who's been in sports media and hosts a podcast. I didn't want to come off like that. But I said, yeah, but our defense isn't that great. And you know what, a lot of Chiefs fans are saying that, that, yeah, sure, the offense is great and all, it's nice, but our defense is going to be our, our our biggest liability. They're going to be the Achilles heel in that divisional round in uh, about, a, about a week. And here's what a lot of people responded to me with when I mentioned the defense. They said, we'd rather still have your football team. You guys have the best quarterback in the NFL. You guys have the best offense in the NFL, arguably the best Receiver tight end duo in the NFL. And Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill eclipsing the 1,300-yard receiving yard mark. Travis Kelsey, he broke the record for most receiving yards by tight end in NFL history. Which, an hour later, it was broken by George Kittle. So you've obviously got that going for you. A lot of people just have this notion, in Kansas City that is. And I'm talking Chiefs fans. That, although the offense... Has done wonders for this football team. The defense, even though they have 52 sacks. Which is leading the league. Tied with the Steelers in that category if I'm not mistaken. This is still a football team that fans are scared of. Because of the defense's performance. 31st in the NFL. 24th in points surrendered. Obviously that number improved a little bit. Because they only gave up 3 against the Raiders. Now, I brought up some of those concerns to other fans I came across in Vegas and they all said brother why are you so concerned you've got Patrick Mahomes we'd still rather have your football team let me just say this folks I know the Chiefs defense has been terrible this year even though they've had some bright spots on that defense but this is a football team that has the number one seed in the AFC all 15 other teams in the AFC would gladly swap records With the Chiefs. Now the Chargers have the same record as the Chiefs. But obviously the Chiefs had the tiebreaker over the Chargers. So that gave the Chiefs the division and the conference obviously. So for us to sit here. And be so concerned. Kind of makes me wonder. And I know. This would be more fitting if we felt the other way. But are we being a little pessimistic? And are we being a little naive? About our football team's chances. Even though we have a bad defense, because I think a lot of Chiefs fans may not realize that. Sure, this is a bad football team, and yes, the Chiefs do have what is it, uh, five or six consecutive losses at Arrowhead. I, I I looked that up earlier today, and I don't have the number in front of me, so I apologize. Uh, but it's a it's a terrible number, five or six, whichever way you look at it. It's it's not good, and Chiefs fans don't want to hear hear about that. They and they look at that and they feel bad about their chances, and uh, they, they they just have that negative outlook on this football team. Let me just say this. And I uh, I said this before. I've said it many times, and I'll continue to say it again. It doesn't matter what history says. I don't care that Tom Brady has been to eight Super Bowls. That has nothing to do with 2019. I don't care that the Chiefs have a record an NFL record for a losing streak in the playoffs at home that has nothing to do with 2019 and as far as I'm concerned Patrick Mahomes never started any of those games that the Chiefs have lost at Arrowhead in the playoffs and listen even if you don't have Patrick Mahomes the tables have to turn at some point right and and look the the three quarterbacks who are the only ones to have 50 touchdowns and 5,000 passing yards Manning Brady and Mahomes Let me just break something to you guys. It helps that you have a quarterback like like those three right there. There's a reason why Peyton Manning has been to four Super Bowls. There's a reason why Brady's been to eight. There's a reason why people believe Mahomes could follow their paths. However, you don't have to have Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, or Patrick Mahomes to win a Super Bowl. It helps. Don't get me wrong. It helps. But that's not the end all be all. The Baltimore Ravens won a Super Bowl With Joe Flacco who had one amazing postseason and that was it in his career. The Giants won two Super Bowls with Eli Manning. Who a lot of people are saying probably the worst quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. Let alone doing so twice. Nick Foles helped the Eagles win a Super Bowl and won Super Bowl MVP. Could possibly happen for a second year in a row. Funny how the cards fall, but that's just the possibility that we're facing right now. So again, you don't have to have Manning, Brady, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, or any of these other big-name quarterbacks. Look at Andrew Luck. I know he's missed a couple of years of football, but he's arguably been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL since being drafted, and he's yet to play in a Super Bowl. You don't always see the high-caliber quarterbacks Playing in the Super Bowl every year. You just don't. You don't always get that. Cam Newton went to a Super Bowl. And he has been... I don't want to say above average. I mean, you know, sure, he has been above the average line. But uh, he's certainly been more than above average. But he hasn't been elite either. He hasn't been, been like a top five quarterback either. That's another thing to keep in mind. So listen, you have this perception that you want about the defense. But from... People outside of Kansas City who are not Chiefs fans, I'll tell you what, man. I, I think uh, I think a lot of football fans, they know what they're talking about. Sure, maybe a few of them, they just look at the win-loss records and they look at the touchdowns, and so they may not be aware of some of the defensive highlights or lack thereof on certain teams, but a lot of people at the end of the day want the Kansas City Chiefs to be there. They, they, they want the success that the Kansas City Chiefs have. They do. And I think as Chiefs fans... We kind of forget about the fact that, hey, look, we do have the number one seed. Keep that in mind. Let me know your thoughts. I forgot to mention the social media before, so I'll say it right now. Facebook.com slash Farzee Vesugian. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. Let me know. Do you agree with me on this? Do you get where I'm coming from? Have I helped maybe change your opinion a little bit on your outlook with the Chiefs and this defense and your chances of possibly making a run to the Super Bowl? Let me know. Facebook.com. You can follow me on Twitter also at Farzine21 and send me a tweet there or email me Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. And before I forget again, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Share those podcast links as well. More Chiefs news to talk about here. Eric Bieniemy is being interviewed by multiple NFL teams. The Jets, the Bucks, the Dolphins, and uh, according to reports, the Bengals have expressed interest in. In interviewing Biennale, the Arizona Cardinals put in a request to interview Biennale. However, Biennale declined to meet with the Cardinals. Gotta say, that's that's a big out right there for the for the Cardinals because they're a team that has Josh Rose and a quarterback that has a lot of potential with this offense in the future. But Biennale says nope to that call right there. And listen, some teams are in disarray. There's just some sort of drama that goes behind the scenes. And maybe you just want to completely avoid that as much as possible. And that's a very frustrating thing. Maybe you don't like the way management operates there and you want to avoid that. And that's what Eric Biennemi did. Look, good good for him. You don't just say yes to every job offer out there. You've got to say no to a few of these uh, at some point and make sure you're you're setting yourself up for success. And look, it's always hard to do well if you're a first-year coach, but there are some places where you maybe feel like you... Won't even have any success there. So, and that's probably how Eric Bieniemy feels regarding the Arizona Cardinals job. Look at the Kansas Jayhawks in football a couple of years ago. They hired a wide receivers coach from Texas A&M. And David Beatty. They couldn't get a coordinator to be their head coach. They went and got a wide receivers coach. And with all due respect to David Beatty, and I think, look, given the what... Charlie Weiss and Turner Gill did. I think David Beatty did a fairly okay job uh, trying to build this team up as much as possible. I thought he did a really great job with recruiting, just didn't translate to success on the field. So you can't fault him for that too much. And I don't want to get into that right now because that's obviously not what, what the point is. The point here is some teams in the NFL... Or in any sport in this case. Like the Jayhawks I just mentioned. They maybe are just not worth it for some coordinators. They know their worth. They know their value. And they know that they should be on a team that maybe they can pick up. Maybe not right away. And maybe it does happen right away. Who knows. But eventually they can have that success with them. Obviously, Biennemi does not feel that way with the Arizona Cardinals. Now there is one thing I do want to touch on here. Because obviously Eric Biennemi... He's being interviewed for a head coaching job. Dave Tobe, he's, his name has been thrown around as a candidate. Bob Sutton's name uh, has unfortunately not been thrown around. But man, I would give anything to hear him become the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. But I'm not holding my breath on that. Regardless though, there is something interesting to be noted about Andy Reid's assistance. And more so on the offensive side of the football. Doug Peterson is now a head coach. Matt Nagy is a head coach. Eric Bieniemy could be a head coach very soon. Are you noticing a pattern here? Ever since Andy Reid joined this football team in 2013, two of his offensive coordinators have become head coaches. One of them could possibly become a head coach. Oh, and by the way, the two offensive coordinators who are head coaches now, they're coaching in the postseason this year. One of them is coming off a Super Bowl championship win in Doug Peterson. Matt Nagy, first year with the Chicago Bears, first year in the playoffs. Oh, by the way, let's add on to this list. Frank Reich, who served under Doug Peterson in Philadelphia the past couple of years, he's also coaching in the playoffs with the Colts. Now, Frank Reich obviously isn't from the Andy Reid coaching tree, but he was an assistant for Peterson in the job that helped him become a head coach. And obviously, Peterson, right, who Reich served under, Peterson was a guy who not only served under Andy Reid on multiple occasions, but also played for Andy Reid. And now you have Eric Bieniemy getting interest from other teams. Is there an Andy Reid takeover coming to the NFL? Okay, folks, I get it. He's never won a Super Bowl before. Maybe it happens this year, but we'll see. But for right now, he's never won a Super Bowl, yet at the end of the day, NFL teams are copying Andy Reid. If you remember last year against the Patriots and the Eagles, the first two games who the Chiefs played against and defeated, the Chiefs ran a lot of unique plays that no NFL team has ever ran before. And what happened after those first couple of weeks? Well, it turned into a copycat league. A lot of teams in the NFL started running the plays that the Chiefs were running, the Pitch to the tight end and Kelsey. Sometimes Demetrius Harris. that, that, That kind of a weird trick play right there. Other teams started running that play right there. This year, in week one, the Chiefs had the touchdown passes to DeAnthony Thomas and Tyree Kill on a sweep toss. And other NFL teams in college and the NFL started running that play. And there are other coaches out there who are doing things that teams mimic. But... Not as much as they try to mimic Andy Reid. And now with your offense with Patrick Mahomes, and obviously, look, there's a thing in Patrick Mahomes that you cannot coach, and that's his arm strength. You just cannot coach that. that, That's just gifted to you as a human. It just is. But that doesn't mean you can't duplicate his success elsewhere. Now, obviously, Doug Peterson has zero familiarity with Patrick Mahomes. Matt Nagy, a little bit of familiarity with Patrick Mahomes. Eric the Lots of familiarity with Mahomes. Being his offensive coordinator in his first year. As a starting quarterback. Now Frank Reich obviously has zero connection to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But he learned a lot from the guy who served under Andy Reid. So here's who you have in the playoffs. You got Andy Reid. And then you got Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy. And under Doug Peterson you've got Frank Reich. Among the 12th playoff teams. A fourth of them have some sort of an Andy Reid tie-in there. And now you've got Eric Bieniemy, who is one of the favorable candidates to become a head coach this offseason. Now again, I don't know if an Andy Reid takeover would be a proper phrase here, but I don't think it's an accident that since 2013... Two, possibly three offensive coordinators are getting picked up from Andy Reid's team. I don't think that's any accident. Look at the Eagles. They hired Chip Kelly and they fired him. Guess what they did? They went back and got an assistant from Andy Reid, a guy who they fired. So that tells you, and obviously they won a Super Bowl so they're happy about that. But That just tells you How highly even a team that fired Andy Reid, they want Andy Reid's type of style back in Philadelphia. And obviously it led to a Super Bowl win. A lot of luck there, of course, with the injury situation, but you get the idea. This is something that a lot of teams would love to have happen to them. Uh, Look at the Patriots. A lot of people thought the Patriot tree was going to become a thing. I mean, gosh, uh... If I can just give some examples, really easy examples right here. Charlie Weiss was the head coach of Kansas. We just mentioned his name a moment ago. And Romeo Cornell was the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now we've seen other head coaches elsewhere. Josh McDaniels, he's likely going to get a second chance despite what he did last year. Uh, his name escapes my mind right now, but the defensive coordinator last year for the Pats, uh, it's bothering me right now. Can't get his name. Uh, Beard Guy, uh, Gosh, can't think of his name, Uh, Detroit Lions head coach, Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia is, uh, I mean, he was obviously being touted for a while. A lot of people wanted to get him, and he finally left New England and got a head coaching gig. So you have a lot of these assistants in New England, and Eric Mangini, another one. Guys who have gone out there to become head coaches, and really all of them have failed except for Bill O'Brien in Houston. I mean, is there anyone from the Patriot Tree that's actually succeeding right now, not named Bill O'Brien? Because I don't think there is anyone that is worthy of, of that discussion right now. You look at the job that former Patriots assistants have done, has it worked out? You look at the job that former Chiefs assistants have done in Andy Reid and Doug Peterson. Obviously, far more success than guys from the Patriot Tree, which I never thought would have been a possibility, but. Here it is. That's the reality of it. Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl win. Matt Nagy in his first year as a head coach is in the playoffs. And Andy Reid probably has the best team he's ever had in his in all of his years of coaching. He just recently surpassed Marty Schottenheimer for most wins uh, in NFL history by a head coach. So you see the pattern here and the direction where this team is going and how everyone wants to have Andy Reid's assistance, Unfortunately, they don't want the defensive assistant, uh, although I will say I, I think uh, Emmett Thomas, he, he should take some responsibility for the defensive struggles this year. But even then, uh, former interim head coach for the Atlanta Falcons and a guy who a lot of defensive acts have blossomed under. So uh, you, you, obviously I'm referring to uh Bob Sutton, of course, to be taken out of Kansas City. But we we know that's not going to happen. The point is, even without that, you still have a lot of success with uh, the offensive guys. And there's a reason why a lot of uh, NFL teams want to uh, reach out to those guys and interview them for head coaching gigs. And by the way, let me just say this. Lots of Chiefs fans are angry because they think this is going to create some major distraction. Folks, this is not going to be a distraction. I'm telling you right now, there is zero distraction. There's... I'm not in the locker room when the doors are shut after Chiefs practices, but I can tell you guys right now there is 0.00% of stress from the players about Eric Bieniemy's future. L- listen, they understand it's a business. Assistant coaches, their goal is to become head coaches one day. So no one's taking this personal. And people are saying, well, they should wait until after their team gets eliminated, which hopefully the Chiefs don't, and it's after the Super Bowl. Folks, if teams wait that long, then they fall behind the eight ball, and other head coaching candidates get picked up, and, you know, they've got to get answers from these guys. It's obviously a verbal answer. We know what happened with the Josh McDaniel situation, but that's a one-off that we've never seen that happen with any other team before. Now, let me say this. The other concern is the Chiefs traded Alex Smith... When two other teams were still playing for a Super Bowl. Now, by all means, I don't think the Patriots nor the Eagles had any heavy interest in Alex Smith. So I don't think they're stressing over that. However, I think it does kind of beg the question of, are we now going into a mode where everyone just wants... All these teams that are without head coach, they want to get that head coach named as fast as possible, and obviously they're hoping their season ends soon because, now, look, if their season ends soon, that head, the, the potential head coach could come over, start working on his offensive staff, and maybe even pull out a trade like the Chiefs did last year with Alex Smith. Or, if Eric Bieniemy does win a Super Bowl, well then, the Jets, for example, can promote him easily and say, here is the offensive coordinator who won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs, now our head coach Eric Bieniemy. I mean, obviously an easy promotion there, and certainly could help with publicity as well for for Jets fans in the area. But you get the idea. Look, this is not a distraction. And by the way, it's not like Eric Bieniemy is leaving the Chiefs right now. The Jets, the 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 Bengals, the Bucks, all these teams interested in him. They're flying out to Kansas City and they're privately meeting with Bieniemy behind closed doors. A lot of times, teams will let them use. Their facility, if needed, they'll give them a room to talk to, or maybe Bienemy will meet these guys in a team hotel. By the way, the Chiefs allow these teams to do so. First, it's uh first it's Bienemy, or actually, I don't know who it is first, but Bienname and the Chiefs both have to approve of this. And then the meetings happen. So, again, keep in mind NFL team, not just the Chiefs, but all of the teams that have a coordinator who are receiving interest. Generally, they allow uh, their coaches to do interviews. Josh McDaniels has been doing interviews the past couple of years. And I don't think that's caused any distraction for the Patriots. Past two years, they're coming off Super roll appearances. So I don't think it caused a distraction. I think fans are just looking for some sort of an excuse as soon as, if, their team loses. So everyone just lay off that because it's certainly not a distraction. And by the way, if Eric Bieniemy does leave, a lot of people are excited for the possibility of Mike Kafka... To be the offensive coordinator to replace the He was drafted by Andy Reid in 2010 in the fourth round. Which again, uh, another quarterback under Andy Reid. Doug Peterson was the other one. And of course became his offensive coordinator. Mike Kafka could be another guy. Just like Doug Peterson. Uh, Peter, or excuse me, Kafka was mostly a practice squad QB. Didn't play a whole lot. Uh, but has become a very good assistant coach. And he turns 32 years old this offseason. season. He could be an offensive coordinator. To give you an idea, Eric Bieniemy turns 50 in August and could be a head coach. Doug Peterson led the Chiefs or he left the Chiefs, excuse me, right before he turned 47 or 48. He's 50 now and his birthday is at the end of this month. Matt Nagy in his first year with Chicago, he turned 40 last April. So to be 32 years old and to be in this position for Kafka who could easily be playing if he had a successful playing career. Uh, but he found his calling uh, and is obviously doing a much better job as a head coach and could be an offensive coordinator at 32 years old. So that's just something that Chiefs fans should definitely keep an eye on and I think that could become a big discussion once and if Eric Bieniemy accepts a head coaching job elsewhere. No injury news this week with Spencer Ware, Sammy Watkins, nor Eric Berry because the Chiefs are not playing. Therefore, there won't be an injury report that will be released. However, we will know much more next Wednesday. And on Thursday's episode, we will discuss what's been going on with Spencer Ware, Sammy Watkins, and Eric Berry in our preview podcast against either the Chargers, Ravens, or Colts, one of those three teams. And we'll know much more about those three as we get closer to that, Howard Belzer, who is the president of Pro Football Writers of America, he tweeted uh, and he reported that cornerback DeAndre Elliott reportedly visited the Chiefs last week. He has not played since 2016, where he had eight tackles in 13 games for Seattle in his only season playing. And look, I know that's not a very exciting player to bring in, but who are you expecting the Chiefs to host? Stefan Gilmore? Chris Harris, Marcus Peters. No, you're not going to get top ten, top twenty, or even top fifty cornerbacks. You're going to get cornerbacks who maybe haven't played in a long time, maybe they have a little bit of experience, but not a whole lot. That's just the reality of it this time of the year. I appreciate the Chiefs making an effort and at least considering somebody because that is a position that needs some help. Charvarius Ward, okay, made some strides as as a nickel cornerback against the Raiders, and I get it's the Raiders, but it's a it's a Raiders football team offensively that's done very well and. Derek Carr, 11 games in a row, did not throw a pick, and he threw two against the Chiefs, so I think Charverius Ward did some good things in that football game to help the defense, and I know Dan Sorensen, he got an easy pick six because the tight end wasn't even paying attention, just basically gave up on the play, but you never apologize if a player just quits on his offense, you just don't, Uh, and obviously Sorensen did what he needed to do, rather than lying over and Saying, hey, look, they're screwing up, so let's give them... No, you don't do that. You obviously do what you got to do when he got the pick six. And a lot of times when there's miscommunication or whatever, that's actually how a lot of teams get through a player. That's how big plays happen. A lot of times it's miscommunication on an offense or a defense, and that's what you're supposed to do. Force a miscommunication and try to get through as much as you can. So definitely nothing wrong with that at all. One other thing I want to discuss here... Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously number one in scoring, number one in total offense, they scored 565 points in 2018. As you guys have heard, the 565 points, that is the third highest in a single season by a team in NFL history. Now, the most impressive part about the total yards being number one in that and the 565 points, third highest in NFL history... The Chiefs ran only 996 plays from scrimmage. Now you might be thinking, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it does sound like a lot. But compared to the rest of the league, the Chiefs were 23rd in the NFL in scrimmage plays this season. To give you an idea, the Baltimore Ravens had the most scrimmage uh scrimmage plays, excuse me, this year. With 1,135 plays, the Patriots were second with 1,073 this season. That's not a lot of plays. And you might be saying, and I got a lot of tweets from, from people who said this when I posted this on Thursday. A lot of people said, man, only 996 plays. Well, if the defense weren't so, if they weren't so terrible, the Chiefs would be better in total plays and time of possession. I said exactly my point. The fact that the Chiefs didn't even run one thousand plays, yet they still did all of these things that no one's ever done before. When it comes to scrimmage plays among all twelve playoff teams, here are the rankings. And I'm not going to say the teams. Uh, there they are. Well, I mentioned a couple of them, but they're first, second, third, fourth, seventh, eighth, eleventh, fourteenth, fifteenth, seventeenth, twenty third. Twenty third is obviously Kansas City because I mentioned that and 28th which just to give you an idea that's the chargers so among the 12 playoff teams the chiefs have ran the second fewest snaps this season yet they still put up 565 points this year by the way while we're at it let's look at the other two teams I mentioned the Chiefs, they're third in NFL history for most points in a season. Let's look at number two, the Patriots. In 2007, they ran 1,058 scrimmage plays. And that was second that season in 2007. The Broncos' 2013 team, which holds the record for most points in a single season, and obviously Manning has a touchdown record that year with 55, they ran 1,156 plays that led the league. That year, the Chiefs ran 996 plays. Didn't even eclipse the 1,000 play mark. Now, somebody tweeted to me that if you do the math and average that, the Chiefs score a point on just about every two snaps. Now, obviously, look, in the NFL, you don't score a single point. Uh, That's not a possibility in football. But the point to that is... This Chiefs team, not only did they score a lot of points, but doing so in limited snaps just shows you just how high scoring this team really is and the high powered offense. What if the Chiefs ran as many plays as the Patriots and the Broncos did? There's a very good possibility that this Chiefs football team probably does become the best scoring team in NFL history. Now look, you can't really live on that look at the broncos highest scoring team ever they got demolished by the seahawks in the super bowl that year i think that score was 43 to 8 if i remember correctly 42 to 8 43 to 8 something like that so it, being the highest scoring team ever doesn't give you success in the end i remember espn put out a really great graphic a couple of years ago when the golden state warriors they broke uh, the chicago bulls record for uh, best win loss record in a regular season. That didn't translate to a finals win. You look at the Patriots 16 and 0 season, almost going 19 and 0. They didn't win a Super Bowl that year. The Golden State Warriors didn't win in their record breaking win loss season. And they compared it to other sports too, uh, teams that have the best win loss records. And none of those teams ended up winning the championships that year. The player that is the MVP doesn't end up winning the championship. The the player that has the coach of the year, offensive player of the year, defensive player, they don't always end up winning the championship. And listen, obviously, you can't get that every year because more times than not, the coach of the year, MVP, the players of the year, the rookie, they're all on different teams. So you just won't have that realistically. Uh, odds are one of them will win. Maybe an MV- whichever team has the MVP or has the coach of the year. Whatever. You get the idea. But it doesn't always pan out that way. So that's kind of interesting. The Chiefs, third highest scoring team in NFL history. Doing so on very limited snaps. 23rd in the NFL this year on offensive snaps. Yet, they led the league in points. Shows you a lot about this football team. And it's an area where... Everyone knows that this team can score quickly with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins when available. But this really puts it into perspective, and quite honestly, I think it helps Patrick Mahomes' case as to why he is the outright NFL MVP. Final topic before we do our wild card predictions. The Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists are out, and there are 15 finalists right now, including longtime Chiefs tight end, Tony Gonzalez, also briefly played for the Atlanta Falcons. Also, forward chief on this list, Ty Law, cornerback, although he is expected to be inducted as a Patriot if he does make the cut. Now, as I'm sure you guys know, there will be a cut that comes soon. Uh, but before I get into that, the list does include the recommended nominees of the Hall of Fame's con- uh, contributors and senior committees and the 2019 contributor finalists are Pat Bolin owner of the Broncos Gil Brandt longtime front office member of the Dallas Cowboys and now as an analyst and former chief safety Johnny Robinson also made the list the selection committee will meet on Saturday February the 2nd in Atlanta to elect the class of 2019 There is no set number on how many players will get in, but generally the numbers between 4 and 8 according to NFL.com, and the list will be trimmed from 15, which is what it is right now, to 10 and then to 5, and then maybe give or take one more or less. Uh, The remaining finalists will simply be voted on on individually, yes or no, and that's how they get voted in to the Pro Bowl, and they must receive 80% of the approval of the positive votes to get inducted. And that's only for the modern uh, era players. The senior nominees aren't part of that trim from 15 to 10 to 5. They they stay there regardless. Uh, but they do need to receive 80% approval to be inducted into the Class of 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that list will be revealed during the NFL Honors Awards on February the 2nd at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. That will be on CBS the night before... Super Bowl 53, which is less than a month from now. And obviously, we'll know a lot in exactly one month. Who's in it? Who won? Who lost? A month from now, we'll be talking about that. And hopefully, we're, we're, we're talking about a certain team in Super Bowl 53. We'll talk about that, obviously, when the time comes. But for right now, wild card. Preview Four games this weekend. Let's start. Let's go in chronological order. The number six seeded Colts team will visit the Texans. They're a three seed. That's going to be 335 on CBS. Both teams 9-2 since week six. That's tied for the best record in the NFL this year. Both great quarterbacks in Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck. I will say I'd be intrigued to see a Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes AFC Championship game simply because those were the two big quarterbacks that a lot of people were... Looking forward to seeing KC, more so Deshaun Watson, than Mahomes. Obviously, uh, I think Chiefs fans are happy with the way it all panned out. Uh, this one should be a shootout. I, I think it will be. The Colts have improved drastically. Now, they did it with the easiest schedule in the NFL this year. Started 1-5. Now they're in the playoffs and they're playing in Houston. Similar like the Chiefs. They started 1-5 and they went to Houston. And the Chiefs won that game. And you know what? I think the Colts can prove that this is not a fluke. I know this Texans team is a lot different than the, the Texans team. The Chiefs face that team, the Chiefs face. They, they went through four quarterbacks yet still won the AFC South. Now, this case, I think the Colts can prove it's not a fluke. I think it's going to be a shootout. I have the Colts winning this one 41 to 38. The Seahawks and the Cowboys. Seahawks number five, Cowboys at home number four. Both teams 10 and six this year. Seahawks have the best rushing attack, and they'll face a top five rush defense in the Cowboys. This will be a key matchup to see how the Seahawks rushing game goes, but Amari Cooper has really done wonders for this Cowboys team, but has been inconsistent, and I think joining midseason, that, that's understandable. If he has a full off-season, maybe the Cowboys can really become a good football team and, and have a bye week next year. Obviously a long ways away from now, so we'll see how that goes uh, in that transition with an offseason, but... The Cowboys did have that big win over the Saints. Low scoring, but hey, a win is a win. And this Seahawks team, they are very dangerous offensively. They are. And that Cowboys offense, I think they need to keep up. And I think Dallas can hold off Seattle in a narrow game if we get the right Amari Cooper. And I think he will show up come playoff time. I have the Cowboys winning 35 28. Then we move on to the Sunday games. The Chargers, number five seeded team. They'll visit the Ravens. Chargers are 7-1 on the road. They've proven themselves just narrowly losing the AFC West to Kansas City. Baltimore, damn good defense. By the way, Lamar Jackson, he's going to be the youngest quarterback to start a playoff game at 21 years old. He turns 22 the day after this game. So, hopefully he can spend his last day as a 21-year-old you know, celebrating a playoff. win. we'll see how that goes. By the way, the Ravens, they're 6-1 under Lamar Jackson. Only loss was the Kansas City, and that was in overtime. And that was when that number one ranked defense fell apart against Patrick Mahomes. So if that number one ranked defense can hold off Mahomes in the Chiefs offense, maybe they're undefeated with Lamar Jackson. And I think a lot of people would be more inclined to pick this Ravens team moving forward. But they do have that little dent on their starting record right there, and that is that loss in Kansas City. Man, I've got to say, this is going to be a very close one here. This is going to be my game of the week. I really think this is going to be the best game this season, I've got the Chargers winning twenty four to seventeen, and I've got the wildcard teams, the visiting teams, the Colts and the Chargers going on the road. Although I, now you guys know, I have the Colts visiting the Chiefs next Saturday. Now, still one more game left. The Eagles, number six, versus the number three Bears. Chicago's defense unbelievable. Mitchell Trubisky has improved a lot this year uh, after a bad rookie season and a quiet start to this year. On the other hand, Nick Foles is the QB. And he's 12-4 and four in the month of December, January, and February in games since 2013. For whatever reason, Nick Folds just excels in this backup role coming out of the bullpen. He just does. They won an opening night with Nick Folds because, to be honest, Matt Ryan was terrible. He overthrew four of his last five passes in the end zone with the game on the line. Uh, then the Eagles went on to lose six of their next nine. Nick Foles takes over after Carson Wentz offers yet another injury. And here are the Eagles once again. Similar situation, but this time they're a number six seeded team. I, look, for the sake of this prediction, and because recently I did say I'm predicting a Bears and Cowboys NFC Championship game, I'll pick the Bears to win 17-14. But honestly, man, at that point when I said that NFC title game prediction, I did not think the Eagles were going to cruise the way they did I didn't think we'd see that again with the Nick Foles magic, but here we are. I honestly have no idea how this is going to go. The Eagles are going to be underdogs once again because they have a backup quarterback, but that backup quarterback is also the reigning Super Bowl MVP. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to go. And let me just say this, because there's talk. What if Nick Foles does it again? Who do you go with if you're the Eagles? Who's going to be the quarterback if Nick Foles leads the Eagles to two straight Super Bowl wins coming out of the bullpen? I get Nick Foles was terrible to start the year, but I think you've got to consider some things at this point. Maybe this sounds silly, but is it oh, ideal at some point to say, hey, look, we'll keep going with with uh, Carson Wentz, but if he struggles midway through the year, we'll make that switch because we have a reliable guy who keeps doing it over and over again. I don't know. I know that's long ways away from now, but that is really pondering my mind a lot because We've never seen a situation like this where you draft a guy, what, number two overall, yet your backup quarterback who almost retired from football and was convinced by Andy Reid not to, he does this. Listen, he did this in 2013 when uh, Chip Kelly was the head coach. They took out Michael Vick and put in Nick Foles, and Nick Foles led him to a playoff appearance. I don't know what it is about Nick Foles excelling in this situation. Obviously, it's not the ideal way to do it, but... It seems to be working anyway for the Eagles. I don't know. That's very interesting. Uh, Should be very interesting to see how this Eagles team uh, does in the playoffs, uh, starting with the Bears in the last playoff game of wildcard weekend. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. This is funny. Ben Roethlisberger says Le'Veon Bell's distraction from not being with the team hurt the Steelers. Yeah, sure. Uh, Because the backup, James Conner, turned into a bro bowl, which erased any notion that the Steelers needed Le'Veon Bell. Uh, By the way, the Steelers were also 7-2-1 at one point in the year. I don't think Le'Veon Bell had anything to do with the Steelers falling apart in the second half of the season. Not one bit. You also had that draw against the Browns. And I get they didn't have Baker Mayfield, so they should have won. Even if they had Baker Mayfield, that's that's Baker Mayfield's NFL debut if he plays. You should still take care of him in that first game there. Blame it on yourselves. Not a guy who didn't have anything to do with the football team. I mean, that's just terrible of Ben Roethlisberger. And now with this whole dramatic situation with uh, Antonio Brown and talks about how uh, Roethlisberger is the reason Todd Haley, former Chiefs Head coach is out of Pittsburgh. I think there's a common denominator here, folks. And it's Ben Roethlisberger. It's not Todd Haley. It's not Le'Veon Bell. It's not not Antonio Brown. It's Roethlisberger. And I think the Steelers need to move on from Ben Roethlisberger. Great career, but all good things must come to an end. Speaking of things coming to an end, could come to an end for Greg Williams in his time with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Look, I'm kind of surprised that the Browns I haven't made him uh, any sort of offer yet because this is a guy who did a really great job. And I get they have to go through the interview process plus the uh, uh, the, the rule um, Mahoney rule where you have to uh, interview a, a minority candidate. But at the same time, I think Greg Williams this is a guy who should be sought after for a head coaching gig. He's done a great job as a defensive coordinator, especially with the Browns. And I think as an interim head coach, he made a lot more headway than Hugh Jackson did in his, what, two and a half years there. So I've got to say Greg Williams should be the front runner to be the Browns head coach because this is a guy who's done a lot of good things with defenses and as a head coach with the job he did uh, interim head coach, I should say. I think the Browns should really consider Greg Williams to be the head coach of the Browns moving forward. Last thing in this segment before we move on, uh, I'll tell you who the best wide receiver in the NFL is. And it's DeAndre Hopkins. He finished in the top five in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. Third in the NFL in receptions with 115. Second with 1,572 yards. Both single-season career highs for him. And he had 11 receiving touchdowns. That's fifth in the NFL this year. Now, that's not the impressive part about DeAndre Hopkins. The best part about DeAndre Hopkins, zero drops out of the 115 catches he's had this year. It's not an easy thing to say for a guy. That active. It's a very difficult thing to do. Listen, even the most elite players drop a pass here and there. Tyreek Hill had a couple of drops. Travis Kelsey's dropped a couple of passes. It happens. But 115 catches and no drops from a single player, I mean, that's something that you just, it's unheard of. So listen, I, I think you got to give a lot of credit to all the other wide receivers out there. Uh, guys like Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown. Devonte Adams, Adam Thielen, a lot of guys on the list, but none have been able to do what DeAndre Hopkins did, and that's a very difficult thing, kind of like Kareem Hunt not fumbling the football. Hey, look, if Bill O'Brien likes that style of play, there's a destination for Kareem Hunt. When and if he is going to get another chance in the NFL, and once he does get out of this exempt list, that might be a pretty viable destination. If Bill O'Brien likes that style of play where players are taking care of the football, well then, why not? I think that would be a perfect match for the Texans and Kareem Hunt in the future. It fits the style of football that they want, and you're seeing it from one player, hey, uh, turnovers are a big part of the game, and that could be a possible place for him in the future. But DeAndre Hopkins, got to give up to him. In my opinion, best wide receiver in the NFL right now. Let's go out of bounds. Alright, so I know the Missouri Tigers, they rallied in the Liberty Bowl, uh, trying to come back in that football game, and they tied it up at one point, uh, but unable to, or actually they didn't tie it up, but came pretty close, but fell short to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, 38-33. And a lot of people now wondering, how will Drew Locke, the quarterback for the Tigers, how will he do in the NFL? He's expected to be taken in the top 10, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I get it. The transition from college to the NFL, it's different for a lot of players. Their style, you know, if they would fit the pro style of play in the NFL. Chase Daniel went undrafted out of Mizzou. And he was a Heisman candidate. Illustrious career at Missouri. Blaine Gabbert, okay, he did a good job in Mizzou. But he, I never got this, and I said this at the time too, I never had this striking impression that Blaine Gabbert was a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Now, I don't remember exactly where he was drafted, if it was on top 10 or just outside of it, but it was taken very high in 2011 by the Jaguars. And by the way, he looked terrible on Sunday Night Football filling in for Marcus Mariota. Uh, Oh, by the way, he was taken 10th overall. That's right, by the Jaguars. He's been a journeyman in the NFL since being drafted. Uh, Chase Daniel has had far more success, not just at Mizzou, but also in the NFL. Yet, Drew Locke and Blaine Gabbert, their, Gabbert was a top-ten guy, and Drew Locke is expected to be a top-ten guy. Daniel never had any of those comparisons. He never was mocked to be a top-ten guy, and on top of that, he went undrafted. Not quite sure what it is. Look, I'm not an NFL scout, but it does kind of shock me that, uh, that you know, you look at Daniel, who's had more success in Mizzou than Locke and Gabbert combined, yet Gabbert went undrafted, uh, excuse me, uh, Daniel went undrafted Gabbert was top 10 and Locke is expected to be a top 10 guy I don't know, just never made sense to me whatsoever by the way, Kawhi Leonard of the Toronto Raptors obviously his first year with the Raptors had a chance to go to LA, didn't go there but formerly with the Spurs he returned to San Antonio for the first time when the Raptors and Spurs played and he he's at the free throw line and Spurs fans are chanting traitor and you could tell, I mean, Quiet Leonard's the guy who just has, he's like Andy Reid, he has no facial expression, he shows no emotion. But at the free throw line, you, you could see kind of a smirk on his face, it's almost like, you know, the Spurs fans, they got him, they got him right there. You could see that smirk on his face, tried to walk it around, you even saw a couple of Raptors teammates walk up to him, just kind of pat him on the back before he, he shot those free throws, when there was that little dead period there, but... Uh, Man, uh, sports fans are vicious. I don't even know. I I know uh, he got booed. Kyle Leonard got booed every time he got the ball. I know Kevin Durant, same thing when he went back to Oklahoma State. Or, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma City. But did LeBron James get traitor chance? I don't think he did. I don't think he did. By the way, here's a guy who puts all of us to shame. Braxton Morrell is a 16-year-old. From Ulysses, Kansas, and he will be graduating from Ulysses High School in the spring. Like a lot of look, 16 years old. Okay, it's it's impressive, but also not unheard of. We've heard a lot of people skip a grade or two and not finish, uh, not have to do all four years of high school. But not only that, Braxton Morrell is gonna graduate from Harvard one month after graduating from Ulysses High School. He's going to get his bachelor's degree one month afterwards, and he's wanting to get into Harvard Law at 16 or 17, however old he'll be whenever the fall semester gets underway. By the way, he was 11 years old when he started enrolling in classes at Harvard. Uh... What were you doing at 11 years old or or at 16? Braxton Morrell is graduating at 16 years old. I started a Chiefs podcast at 16 years old. Here's Braxton Morrell graduating from high school and college at 16. Listen, no matter you know how proud you are of a, of an accomplishment, just know at the end of the day, Braxton Morrell is better than you. He's better than me. He graduated from high school and college at 16 years old. You're just not going to beat that. There's there's just nothing that can top this. There's no way. There's just no way. When people graduate from college at 21, 22, or 23 years old, there's that stress of trying to find a job. This guy's about to graduate from high school and college. Harvard College at 16, and he's getting ready for Harvard Law. Um, I'm just going to take a guess and say this guy's got a bright future ahead of himself. He just does. Uh... 16 years old. Oh man, that's what that, that really does put everyone to shame. But hey, good for the kid, smart kid, obviously. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. Oh boy, talk about ringing in the new year. A man shot himself while celebrating New Year's Eve in Kansas City, Kansas. He was preparing uh, to go outside at midnight to fire his gun in the air to celebrate. Because we all know that's a smart way to celebrate the new year. Uh, scaring the crap out of your neighbors? Yeah, smart way. Police, by the way, are trying to tell people that this is an illegal act of celebration. And to not do it, but I don't think... Uh, I don't think uh, the message is coming across. They're, they're trying to spread the word across the nation, but, again, people are just dumb. Now, uh, people are dumb. This guy's dumber, because instead of shooting the air in celebration, he accidentally shot himself in the stomach, because shooting the air and shooting your stomach sounds like it can happen, easily happen where one gets in the way. You're trying to shoot the air, but the bullet lands in your stomach somehow. Yeah, sounds funny. Uh, Police chief Terry Ziegler, he tweeted Tuesday that the victim sat down Or, excuse me, he sat the gun down on the couch, and that is how he accidentally shot himself. Ziegler tweeted that the man is expected to recover. Okay, I don't even know what my reaction to this is. Here is actually my immediate reaction. Why is this guy alive? Clearly, God loves this guy. Now, did God grace him with brains? Clearly not, but... You shoot yourself in the stomach and you're going to live. I I mean, I I don't want to sit here and do like a test as to, you know, if 100 people, if this happens to 100 people, how many survive? Because that's obviously not the safe thing to to test. But my point is, this guy is going to live and he's going to be very, very, very lucky that this is happening to him. This guy is cheating on life right now. Might not be the smartest guy in the world, but he's going to get a chance to maybe just be smarter next time. Because in three, less than 365 days, he's going to be in this position again where he can celebrate New Year's. Let's just hope he has a smarter idea of celebrating (laughs) this time around. The guy is alive. Um, boy, uh, I mean, it's scary, but hey, good for him. I'm happy for him. Uh, this is actually not a funny matter. An Ohio doctor, you know look, neither is getting shot in the stomach. That's a very serious situation, but this one is terrible. An Ohio doctor is fired after an anti-Semitic tweet surfaced. And it includes a threat to give Jewish people intentionally, quote, wrong meds. Uh, her name is Lara... I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. The tweets resurfaced from 2011 through 2017. Uh, the screenshots came up. And by the way, she seriously tweets like those uh, 10-year-olds who intentionally misspell certain words and replace a letter with a number in attempt to come off as cool, yet you come off like a loser of epic proportions. By the way, she's 27 years old and graduated just last year. I'm 27. I mean, th- she's very young. Still a bright future ahead of her, just graduated, she's now a doctor, yet she had these tweets that she joked about in the past, Uh, worked at the Cleveland Clinic as a doctor, and they were very frightened by this, and immediately terminated her. Uh, In her tweets, she talked about the god of one religion, killing Jewish people, and also referred to Jews as animals. Folks, I'm going to continue to say this as many times as we need to, I'm shocked that people put this kind of stuff out there on social media. This is why it's important that, if you have the time to do so, check back your old tweets. Maybe you said something completely outrageous that you've got to remove as fast as possible. Uh, You just never know what someone... Now look, how did these tweets come up? Who had the time to find these tweets? I don't know. But at the end of the day, when you write things like this, it's a really bad look for not only yourself, but your brand, the company you work for. Props to the... uh the Cleveland Clinic for doing what, what they did uh, you, you can't have someone represent your company like that and say these kinds of things I, she was probably joking not not that it's funny but uh, you you can't accept that no one's going to want to even come in to your office if you have those kinds of jokes out there on social media that's not good at all not one bit I don't know what it is. Why are people putting stupid stuff like that on social media? Again, I get this is the past, but there are people who still do this today, in 2019. Now look, we'll see who's dumb enough to tweet something like this in the first month of 2019, but hopefully stories like this teach people a lesson to not tweet stupid things, because they do come up. They just do. Okay, last thing I want to talk about here. I do want to talk about my Vegas trip one last time. Uh, there's a sports memorabilia store. And I'm not going to say their name because they don't deserve the attention. You can probably figure it out for yourselves if you've been to Vegas and if you're familiar with the city or any of these hotels. But they've got uh, two locations in the city. It's a sports memorabilia, very expensive. Now, and it's not just sports. They've got autographs from celebrities, you know, popular movies, Star Wars, Marvel movies, uh, popular TV shows like The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad... Uh, Game of Thrones, you get the idea. I mean, they've got signed helmets, they've got signed movie posters, jerseys, eh, all that good stuff. So, here's what I do. I go into these stores, and I know everything is overpriced. And by the way, every time I go there, just to browse, I do it every time I go there, just to see what they have. Uh, By the way, they had the Mahomes jersey front and center at $2,000. His signed helmet, 1500 Now, every time I go there, they say, Everything in the store is 50% off, sir. Well, that's convenient because every time I come here, you guys say that. Now, I was talking to one of the employees, playing dumb, and I asked him about the Mahomes signed helmet. I go, sir, is this, uh, did did you guys buy this or did he come in and sign it? He goes, oh, yeah, Mahomes came to to Vegas and signed it because, you know, Mahomes has nothing to do. He just goes to Vegas and goes to a memorabilia store and just signs stuff for them, uh, and I'm like, so did all these other players like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they all came in here. They, the, the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did, they did private signings here and then, and, and, uh, they signed it for some fans. Very cool. I'm like, oh, nice. So as a UFC fan, I asked him, I go, do any UFC fighters ever come in here? He goes, yeah, yeah, they do. And I go, which ones? And there was a brief pause from him. He goes, oh, well, we get, we got Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, and in my head, I'm thinking, okay, Ronda Rousey's not in WWE anymore. She, or excuse me, not in UFC anymore. She's now in WWE. Conor McGregor doesn't do signings like this ever. Nor does Nate Diaz. First of all, I, I should have just asked, which three UFC fighters can you name? Because that's just what he gave me. He just gave me the three most popular names, the most notable names. Um, Listen, I'm not the most intelligent guy in the world, but I'm not dumb. Uh, I know that these... Um, I don't doubt that these signings are by the players themselves, and maybe they could be counterfeits. Who knows? But there's no proof of it. But these guys did not go in there and sign these autographs. They just didn't. I, I don't buy that. I hate when people try to lie to you when they have a store like this. They, they I mean, they, they're pretty pricey, and they're pretty cool, too. And by the way, one of the guys saw my Mahomes jersey, and he goes, hey, I've got a Mahomes jersey. I'm like, yeah, so do I. And he goes, Yeah, mine's signed. And my response was, Yeah, yours is also overpriced. And, you know, he chuckled. He's like, How much would you pay for it? So I pulled up my phone in front of the guy and I showed him a Mahomes jersey. It's the black and red jersey, the ones that the Chiefs have never worn before, but they still sell them in stores, I, which I've never understood. Uh, someone, If anyone knows the backstory to that, please let me know. But I showed him the price on eBay $500. They're selling it at the store for $2,000, but they're telling me 50% off. The guy goes, You know what? I'll give it to you for five hundred dollars. I still declined. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't even know if that's really by Mahomes or not. I, I get kind of it's a cool it's a cool place to just go around and browse, but I'm never going to buy things from that kind of a store because everything is overpriced and you truly don't know if it's authentic. That's what a lot of times when you buy. First of all, you can buy these stuff online for way cheaper. I have found signed jerseys. Way cheaper. Signed 8x10s. Other signed memorabilia. Signed items for much cheaper than stores like this. Uh, There are other sports stores out there in in the Vegas area that I like to visit like this. There's one that uh, has um, uh, uh, Metallica. A a big, big poster. Uh, Every single person from Metallica signs it. $15,000. Who is buying these things? I'd be curious to know. I mean, I get it if you buy, like, a $100 or $200 item. But $15,000 for, like, a Metallica guitar, signed guitar or signed poster? It, it, I mean, that big of a thing, where do you put that in your house? I don't know. But, man, I hate it when when people who run stores like that, they lie to you and try to rip you off and they think they're slick. I did this, um, there's a sports memorabilia store in Oak Park Mall. I'm not going to say the name of that store. But uh, they had the Royals World Series ring. Now, it was a replica of the World Series ring. Now, I played dumb, which I'm pretty good at. Uh, I, but I played dumb with the, uh, with the uh, person working there. I go, is this a real World Series ring? And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, it is. And so I asked him if I could see it. I look at the ring and I know it's not the real ring. Because inside the real Royals World Series ring, they crafted the entire postseason schedule for the Royals. This ring that I looked at didn't have it, but the guy's telling me it's the real World Series ring. Listen, I don't know what it is, and I get there are some people dumb enough to believe this kind of stuff. But folks, when you go to a store like this, and I'm not saying how to spend your money, but if you're going to, I'm at least going to ask you to do your research on these kinds of things. Because trust me, it may look cool and may be tempting, but you can find these stuff for way cheaper online. Trust me, if you have a sports memorabilia store near you, if or places that, that sell signed sports items, check the price. Look up the same exact thing online. You'll find a cheaper one. Nine times out of ten, I promise you. That's why I'm talking with the flag. I hate people who try to rip you off and try to lie. Like I don't believe this guy. Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor apparently come often. No, they don't. I haven't mean, Look, I don't know Ronda and Connor, but I know well enough that they don't go to Vegas consistently for those autograph signings. They just don't. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Stone Podcast. I'm Farzee Vesugian. Big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Share the podcast as well on social media. I'm on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzee Vesugian. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. We may do a Facebook Live once we find out who the opponent is. So be on the lookout for that. It could be the Colts, Ravens, or Chargers. So either Saturday evening or Sunday afternoon. One of those uh, occasions, we will do a Facebook Live video. So be on the lookout for that. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and my email, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Again, hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Holidays. Hope you guys enjoyed that. If you worked during the holiday season, hopefully you get some time off uh, getting the down period now with the holidays passing through. So hopefully you guys all enjoyed this time of year. Now going back to work and school. If you're still on vacation, hey, good for you. Keep on enjoying that. Until then, we will talk on Tuesday. We'll have our episode recapping Wildcard Weekend. And on Thursday, we will preview the Chiefs. Versus either the Colts, Chargers, or Ravens. We'll have that for you next week. Talk to you then. Enjoy your weekend.